Hi, Dave Remy here. This is For the Record Program number 1229. How many lies before you belong to the lie? Part 2. This is being recorded on February 25th of the year 2022. Very quickly, three links increasingly important. Uh, these are at the top of each For the Record description, each written description for For the Record programs, and at the top of each Food for Thought post. One of those will enable you to subscribe to the comments, most of whom, most of which are made by our expert Contributing Ebiter fractal increasingly important and will uh, cast a whole new uh, dimension of understanding to the subject of these programs, which is the war in Ukraine. So please uh, subscribe to those comments, some made by other expert listeners as well. The second link will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made by Sister Station WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program, and they are the uh, increasingly uh, the medium of choice in uh, this uh, point in time, then Sister Station WFMU is podcasting the For the Record programs, and they're also, by the way, archiving them on MP3 and the pop-up audio, so you can subscribe to those uh, by clicking on that link. The third link will enable you to obtain the 32 gigabyte flash drive with all of my life's work on it, uh, plus a mini library of old anti-fascist books on easy to download and, uh, PDF files. I'm in my 43rd year on the air. Basically everything that is on the spitfirelist.com website is on that flash drive. Uh, I do not get any money from this whatsoever. Now, this program is a continuation of discussion, really sadly, very sadly, review of information presented in past programs. Uh, all of this, like everything else I do, is open source. This is published information. I've referred to myself and continue to refer to myself as a journalistic step-up transformer. I take things from open sources and make them more visible, and uh, that is the case here. Uh, it is very sad indeed that uh, we've gotten to the point that we've gotten to when uh, things that are a matter of public record do not get discussed. That is what the title of the program refers to. It is a quote from the late brilliant political comedian Mort Saul. In his Heartland autobiography, he observed how many lies before you belong to the lie. In other words, how many lies can you allow yourself to believe before you belong to the lie? Well, I think in America, we have gotten to that point, and our media are increasingly censored. What uh, saw, so, by the way, was one of Jim Garrison's investigators of the JFK assassination in New Orleans. Now, we're going to continue with discussion of the evolution of political and military and intelligence institutions that has resulted 
in the reintroduction in the realms of power, the corridors of power, of the OUNB slash UPA Ukrainian fascists who were the uh, implementers of Nazi policy in Ukraine and then became a key element of the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations. The Republican Party worked inextricably with the CIA. And when Putin talks about one of the major war aims, the major war aims of uh, the Russians, I'm not sure they will be able to uh, do that, certainly not quickly, are the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine, and that is being uh, censored in the U.S. Uh, that is most unfortunate because, uh, frankly, that is what it is all about, the uh, uh, reintroduction of the Nazis in the key positions of power in Ukraine is something that is a matter of record. And yet it is a record that is not being discussed, including to any real extent by the so-called progressive sector. That is why I have titled the program, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lie? And we have gotten there. And under Joe Biden, I think the Nazification of America, basically the de facto Nazification is complete, as is the de facto Nazification of the Democratic Party. The Republicans have been Nazis since the end of World War II. Now the Democrats have caught up with them, and uh, they should feel shame, but uh, as the old expression has it, those who are without honor feel no shame. Now, to the subject matter at hand, we are going to revisit key excerpts from a very important article from Covert Action magazine from May 23rd of 2019, from March, excuse me, March 23rd of 2019, 3-23-2019. Uh, it is titled, Imagine Geographies of Central and Eastern Europe, The Concept of Intermarium by Marlene or Marlena, L-A-R-U-E-L-L-E, and Ellen Rivera, R-I-V-E-R-A. This is the substance of most of the programs for the record, 1,098, 1,099, 1,100, and 1,101. And we're going to review some key excerpts of that, because this not only chronicles the evolution of these Nazi and fascist elements, including how they became ascendant in contemporary Ukraine, but it talks about the history of their uh, well institutionalization and ascent. One of the key sentences here, I will repeat this, we concluded our last program with this, the continuity of institutional and individual trajectories from Second World War collaborationists to Cold War era anti-communist organizations to contemporary conservative U.S. think tanks is significant for the ideological underpinnings of today's intermarium revival. One more time. The continuity of institutional and individual trajectories from Second World War collaborationists to Cold War-era anti-communist organizations, to contemporary conservative U.S. think tanks, is significant for the ideological underpinnings of today's intermarium revival. And we're going to look 
at that evolution. Now, a key player in the events that brought the OUN successor organizations to power in Ukraine has been the Atlantic Council. You see members of the Atlantic Council being cited as authorities. In fact, they are very painted authorities. Uh, the Atlantic Council has received backing from NATO, the State Department, Lithuania, and the Ukrainian oligarch Viktor Pinchuk. The think tank also receives major funding from the Ukrainian World Congress, which evolved from the OUN, quoting from the uh, Covert Action magazine article. In 1967, the World Congress of Free Ukrainians was founded in New York City by supporters of Andre Melnik, M-E-L-N-Y-K. He, by the way, was the head of the OUNN, also allied with Nazi Germany. It was renamed the Ukrainian World Congress in 1993. In 2003, the Ukrainian World Congress was recognized by the United Nations Economic and Social Council as an NGO with special consultative status. It now appears as a sponsor of the Atlantic Council. And again, the continuity of institutional and individual trajectories from Second World War collaborationists to Cold War-era anti-communist organizations to contemporary conservative U.S. think tanks is significant for the ideological underpinnings of today's intermarium revival. Uh, now, we're going to go back to the immediate aftermath of World War One, when Ukrainian proto-fascist forces were at the core of Josef Pilsudski's Polish-led intermarium and overlapping Promethean organizations. We talked about the Promethean League in AFA program number 14. It not only included Ukrainian fascists and uh, Polish fascists, but also uh Turkish, uh, pan-Turkish fascists as well. And uh, in the aforementioned uh, visit by Turkish President Erdogan to uh, Ukraine, this, by the way, covered in the New York Times of Friday, February 4th of 2002, Turkey rebukes Moscow by supplying more armed drones to Ukraine. Russia increases buildup on border by Andrew E. Kramer. I think that that history of a pan-Turkish collaboration with fascism, something we see today in Xinjiang province in China, something that was instrumental in uh, World War II, uh, we, we uh, basically see the evolution of the networks that were the Promethean League and the overlapping Intermarium League. Now going back again to the immediate aftermath of World War One, Western Ukraine was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which dissolved at the end of World War One. Eastern Ukraine had been part of the Russian Empire, which also uh, dissolved in the Soviet Union. Uh, recap major elements of it. Returning to the Covert Action Magazine article from March 23rd of 2019. According to the British scholar and journalist Stephen Borrell, B-O-R-R-I-L, the Promethean League served as an anti-communist umbrella organization for anti-Soviet exiles displaced after the Ukrainian government of Semyon Petlyura, 1879-1926, gave up the fight against the Soviets in 1922. As Borrell affirms, quote, the real leadership and latent power within the Promethean League emanated from the Petlura-dominated Ukrainian Democratic Republic in exile and its Polish sponsors. The Poles 
benefited directly from this arrangement as Promethean military assets were absorbed into the Polish army with Ukrainian, Georgian, and Armenian contract officers not uncommon in the ranks. The alliance between Pilsudski and Petlura became very unpopular among many Western Ukrainians as it resulted in Polish domination of their lands. This opposition joined the insurgent Ukrainian military organization, Ukrainska Viskova Organizitsya, UVO, founded in 1920, I'm probably butchering the Ukrainian, which later transformed into the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, or OUN. And that according to former Army Intelligence Officer William Gowan, by the way, a source quoted often by the aforementioned heroic John Loftus, uh, the Intermarium and Promethean network assets were used by Third Reich Intelligence during World War II. We look at the absorption of the Promethean League into Third Reich Intelligence again in the aforementioned AFA-14. And the, the article goes on. Based on Gallen's reports, such authors as Christopher Simpson, Stephen Dole, Mark Ahrens, and John Loftus have suggested that the networks of the Promethean League and the Infirmarium were utilized by German intelligence. Now, not surprisingly, the Infirmarium and Promethean milieu appears to have been centrally involved in the Nazi escape networks, the Vatican-assisted rat mines in particular. Quoting again from the Covert Magazine, a Covert Action Magazine article from 323-2019. American intelligence began to take notice of the Intermarium Network in August of 1946 in the framework of Operation Circle, a counterintelligence core CIC project, the original goal of which was to determine how networks inside the Vatican had spirited away so many Nazi war criminals and collaborators, mostly to South America. Among the group of CIC officers involved in the operation was Levi's source William Gowan. Then a young officer in Rome, Gowan suspected the Intermarium Network was to be behind Nazi war criminals and collaborators' expensive escape routes from Europe. And it should come as no surprise as well that U.S. intelligence then absorbed the residua of the Intermarium Promethean networks after the war, they had been part of the Nazi intelligence establishment during World War II. According to Ahrens and Loftus, although he had initially been thoroughly opposed to this course of action, by, quote, early 1947, Gowan was strongly advocating that American intelligence should take over Intermarium. Before long, the CIC officer was no longer hunting for Nazis, but recruiting them. Unquote. Now, one of the primary elements of continuity uh, that permitted the OUN, uh, B, slash UPA Nazis and fascists to assume their ascendant role in the national security establishment, intelligence, and police establishments of contemporary Ukraine. And again, Putin has said, uh, one of his major, one of the major war goals is the denazification of Ukraine. Again, quoting from the Covert Action Magazine article of 323-2019. 
a vast number of anti-communist organizations were formed in the immediate post-war period and supported by the U.S. They constitute one of the main components of the Intermarium's genealogical tree. In the sense, one more time, a vast number of anti-communist organizations were formed in the immediate post-war period and supported by the U.S. They constitute one of the main components of the Intermarium genealogical tree in the sense that they revived the memory of Pilsudski's attempts to unify Central and Eastern Europe against Soviet Russia and gave them new life, but blended this memory with far-right tones inspired by collaboration with Nazi Germany. The most important of the European anti-communist organizations was the Anti-Bolshevik Bloc of Nations, or ABN. Because fascist movements were, in the 1930s, the first to organize themselves against the Soviet Union, the ABN recruited massively among their ranks and served as an umbrella for many former collaborationist paramilitary organizations in exile, amongst them the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, Bondera, OUNB, the Croatian Ustasi, the Romanian Iron Guard, and the Slovakian Linka Guard. It thus contributed to guaranteeing the survival of their legacies at least until the end of the Cold War, obviously well beyond, as we've seen. According to the Liberal Institute for Policy Studies think tank created by two former Kennedy advisors, the ABN was the, quote, largest and most important umbrella for former Nazi collaborators in the world, unquote. And by the way, in addition to the OUN, Ukrainian fascist milieu, the Croatian Ustasi fascists became a dominant element in ABM as well. And this is fundamental to the Azov Battalion's Intermarian project in which they are seeking to build uh, an, a pan-European and pan-Eastern European in particular fascist uh, milieu. Once again, premium to the covert action article. The most active groups within the ABN became the Ukrainian and Croatian organizations, particularly the Ukrainian OUN. The OUN, under the leadership of Andrei Melnik, 1890-1964, collaborated with Nazi occupiers from the latter's invasion of Poland in September of 1939. The Gestapo-trained Mikola Lebed, and the adherence of Melnick's younger competitor, Stefan Bondera, 1909-1959, in sabotage, guerrilla warfare, and assassinations. The OUN's 1941 split into the so-called OUNB, following Stefan Bondera and the OUNN, following Andre Melnick, did not keep both factions from continuing to collaborate with Nazi Germany. And, by the way, former SS and other officer Theodor Oberlander, who was the political officer for the UPA and the Nachtigall Battalion during the bloody Lvov Pogrom of June of 1941, where we visit that, a commemoration of that in contemporary Ukraine, that was vital to the continuity of the OUN and the UPA and thus the Intermarium. Quoting once again from the Covert Action magazine article, while in Soviet Ukraine, the UPA kept on fighting against Moscow until the early 1950s, 
their capacities were exhausted. As federal minister for displaced persons, refugees, and the war damaged during the Adenauer government, Obulanger played a crucial role in the lives of the ABN and allowed Ukrainian collaborationists to take the lead in it. Yaroslav Stetsko, 1912-1986, who presided over the Ukrainian collaborationist government in Lvov from as early as June 30, 1941, led the ABN from its creation in 1946 until his death in 1986. And again, we've spoken about the UPA guerrillas, many of them were their German SS officers, uh, and some of them put together under the werewolf program and uh, continuing the war into the early 1950s, except uh, basically at that point receiving aid from the CIA and OPC and Galen. Uh, repeating this last passage, because establishing this continuity is an important part of this historical review. While in Soviet Ukraine, the UPA kept on fighting against Moscow until the early 1950s. Their capacities were exhausted. As Federal Minister for Displaced Persons, Refugees, and the War Damage during the Adenauer government, SS officer Theodor Oberlander played a crucial role in the lives of the ABN and allowed Ukrainian collaborationists to take the lead in it. Yaroslav Stetsko, 1912-1986, who presided over the Ukrainian collaborationist government in Lvov from as early as June 30, 1941, led the ABN from its creation in 1946 until his death in 1986. Now, the Army's counterintelligence corps basically confirmed the primacy of the OUNB within the ABN. Now, note again the continuity of OUN and UPA guerrilla warfare in Ukraine, begun under Third Reich auspices, including the werewolves, and enjoying post-World War II support from the CIA and the OPC. Now, again, we covered that in AFA program number one, and for the record, 777, as well as in this program earlier. Actually, in program uh, uh, 1228. Turning again to the Covert Action article from 323.19. CIC, the Counterintelligence Corps, confirmed that by 1948, both the Intermarium and the UPA, Ukrainian Partisan Command, reported to the ABM President Yaroslav Stetsko. The UPA, in turn, had consolidated all the anti-Soviet partisans under its umbrella. Yaroslav Stetsko was also Secretary of OUNB, and second in command to Barbera, who had the largest remaining partisan group behind Soviet lines under his direct command. Thus, OUNB had achieved the leadership role among the anti-communist exiles and was ascendant by 1950. And the Intermarian concept, uh, christened by Josef Pilsudski in the aftermath of World War One, is a focus of a reincarnated uh, Intermarian slash uh, ABN milieu. The most, returning again to the Covert Action magazine, the most recent reincarnation of the Intermarium has taken form in Ukraine, especially among the Ukrainian far right, which has reappropriated the concept by capitalizing on the solid, ideological, and personal continuity between actors of the Ukrainian far right in the interwar and Cold War periods and their heirs today. 
and the continuity of the infirmarium concept as manifested in contemporary Ukraine is epitomized by the role of Yaroslav Spetsko, that's Yaroslav Spetsko's widow and successor as a decisive ABN and OUN leader. Note the networking between her Congress of Ukrainian nationalists and Svoboda. Uh, Professor Ivan Kaczynowski uh, of Canada, University of Ottawa, has also uh, been a visiting scholar at Harvard University, has done an exhaustively detailed review of the Maidan shootings and proved conclusively that the fire that killed many police and demonstrators came from buildings occupied by Svoboda, not by the Ukrainian police. And uh, However, that is going down the old memory hole, but it is a brilliant and important piece of research. Uh, there is a picture, there will be a picture in the written description for this program. I've used it in many descriptions of Ole Tiana book, The Reaper of Svoboda, basically giving the Nazi salute. Turning once again to the Covert Action Magazine article. The Eber Mariam continuity is exemplified by the wife of long-time ABM leader Yaroslav Spetsko, Yaroslava Stetsko, 1920-2003, a prominent figure in the Ukrainian post-Second World War emigre community who became directly involved in post-Soviet Ukrainian politics. Having joined the OUN at the age of 18, she became an indispensable supporter of the ABN after the war. In July of 1991, she returned to Ukraine and in the following year formed the Congress of Ukrainian Nationalists, or CUN, a new political party established on the basis of the OUN and presiding over both. Although the CUN never achieved high election results, it cooperated with the Social National Party of Ukraine, SNPU, which later changed its name to Svoboda, the far-right Ukrainian party that continues to exist. And, uh, by the way, it's C-14, uh, militia group has police powers in 21 different Ukrainian cities and has committed pogroms against, uh, Roma, uh, basic quote, gypsies, unquote, and others. Uh, something that we looked at in both AFA 36 and AFA 37, we came back to it again in, uh, for the record 777 and 778 is that the uh, ABN, uh, Republican Party, Nazi milieu, the ethnic heritage outreach uh, milieu, was basically projected back into former areas of the Soviet Union, courtesy of the Free Congress Foundation. And uh, the fellow who was the leader of that, uh, the uh, Hungarian Arrow Cross leader, was also the liberation director of the Free Congress Foundation's uh, efforts in the former Soviet Union. Now, Yaroslava Spetsko, that's Spetsko's widows, CUN was co-founded by her husband's former secretary in the 1980s. That is a very important individual who embodies the continuity of the Nazi elements from the OUNB milieu right up to the present. That is Roman Svarich. He was the personal secretary to Yaroslav Spetsko in the early 1980s when he headed up the ABN, and he became the justice minister under the governments of uh, both Viktor Yushchenko and both 
Yulia Timoshenko governments. Uh, Viktor Yushchenko, by the way, married the former Ekaterina Chumachenko, who had been a key member of the UCCA, the Ukrainian Congress Committee of America, that's the top OUNB front in the U.S., and then became Ronald Reagan's Deputy Director of Public Liaison. She then married Viktor Yushchenko and became uh, First Lady of Ukraine. And uh, Zarech, as we will see, became a dominant element in the formation of the Azov Battalion, which also was given police powers in Ukraine. One more time. And uh, returning to the article uh, from Covert Action Magazine from March 23rd, 2019. The co-founder of the CUN and formerly Yaroslav Stetsko's private secretary, the U.S.-born Roman Zvarich, 1953, represents a younger generation of the Ukrainian emigre community active during the Cold War and a direct link from the ABN to the Azov Battalion. Zvarich participated in the activities of the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations in the 1980s. In February of 2005, after Viktor Yushchenko's election, Zvarich was appointed Minister of Justice. According to Andrei Bolepsky, the first commander of the Azov Battalion, a civil paramilitary unit created in the wake of the Euro Maidan, Zvorich was head of the headquarters of the Azov Central Committee in 2015 and supported the Azov Battalion with volunteers and political advice through his Zvorich Foundation. He was also the chief spokesperson for the Azov Battalion. By the way, the German TV special showed uh, swastikas and SS moons on combat helmets of the Azov Battalion. And uh, Azov Battalion has been a uh, destiny for fascists and Nazis around the world where they have received military training and some of them have then returned to the U.S., now, the intermarian continuity, as I had termed it, is inextricable with the historical revisionism about the roles of the OUN and the UPA in World War II. Uh, that is what the UN uh, resolution, which passed 132, the UK and the EU abstained. The only two voting against it were the US and the Ukraine. This is what that was directed at. And the Revisionism in Ukraine about the OUN and the UPA is institutionalized literally in the uh, Institute of National Remembrance. More about that later. And some of the documentation that we are going to review in this series uh, will be overlapping. Now, of the, of the Institute of National Remembrance, coming again to the covert action magazine article. The reintroduction of the intermarian notion in Ukraine is closely connected to the broad rehabilitation of the OUN and UPA, as well as of their main hero, Stefan Bondera. During his presidency, 2005 to 2010, and particularly through the creation of the Institute for National Remembrance, Viktor Yushchenko built the image of Bondera as a simple Ukrainian nationalist fighting for his country's independence, unquote. Again, bear in mind that Yushchenko's wife uh, was a former, the former Ekaterina Chumachenko, was a member of the UCCA and Ronald Reagan's Deputy Director of Public Liaison, as we've looked at in numerous programs.
I've also, as discussed in numerous programs, another key element in that imprimarium continuity is that very Katarina Chumachenko, an OUM operative who served in the State Department and Ronald Reagan's administration. And again, she married Viktor Yushchenko and became first lady of Ukraine. It is not unlikely that Yushchenko's readiness during his presidency 2005 to 2010 to open up to right-wing tendencies of the Ukrainian exile leads back to his wife, who had connections to the ABN. Katarina Chumichenko, or Yushchenko, born 1961 in Chicago, was socialized there in the Ukrainian exile youth organization SUM, Spilka Ukranskoji Malobi, Ukrainian youth organization, in the spirit of the OUN. Via the Lobby Association Ukrainian Congress Committee of America, or UCCA, she obtained the post as special assistant in the U.S. State Department in 1986, and was from 1988 to 1989 employed by the Office of Public Liaison in the White House. Now, again, uh, embodying the Infirmarium continuity of the illustration laws. These were originally supposed to be anti-corruption laws, and Ukraine is, and for a long time has been, consummately corrupt. They became basically laws to outlaw accurate portrayal of the history of the OUNB and the UPA. It is now a criminal offense to tell the truth about the OUN and UPA's role in World War II. Now note Volodymyr Vyotrovich's position as Minister of Education. He was head of the Institute of National Memory. Again, Volodymyr Vyotrovich and his position as Minister of Education in Ukraine. Coming back again to the Covert Action Magazine article. This rehabilitation trend accelerated after the Euro Maidan. In 2015, just before the 70th anniversary of Victory Day, Volodymyr Vyotrovich, Minister of Education and longtime director of the Institute for the Study of the Liberation Movement, an organization founded to promote the heroic narrative of the OUN-UPA, called on the Parliament to vote for a set of four laws that codified the new post-Maidan historiography. Two of them are particularly influential in the ongoing memory war with Russia. One decrees that OUN and UPA members are to be considered, quote, fighters for Ukrainian independence in the 20th century, unquote, making public denial of this unlawful. And later on, either in this program or our next we're going to talk about some of the heroism of uh, the OUN and UPA. Talking about the numbers killed can be sort of a bit numbing to the reality of what went on. We're going to talk about the liquidation of a Polish town during something of a sub-war, the Polish-Ukrainian war uh, that took place basically overlapping World War II. Now, uh, as we have discussed in full record 1096 and 1097, the Azov Battalion is in the leadership of the revival of the Intermarian concept. That is, again, a uh, pan-Eastern European or pan-European fascist uh, revival. Again, quoting from the Covert Action article. In this context of rehabilitation of interwar heroes, 
tensions with Russia and dissolution with Europe beginning again. In this context of rehabilitation of interwar heroes, tensions with Russia and disillusion with Europe over its perceived lack of support against Moscow, the geopolitical concept of intermarium could only prosper. It has found its most active promoters in the far right of the political spectrum among the leadership of the Azov Battalion. And again, the driving force behind that, former Yaroslav Stetsko personal secretary, Roman Storich, minister of justice, the equivalent of attorney general in Viktor Yushchenko's government and in both Timoshenko governments in Ukraine. And uh, Azov's Intermarian support group has held three networking conferences to date. Uh, that, that was as of 2019. And that has brought together key figures of what are euphemized as nationalist, unquote, organizations. In addition to focusing on the development of what are euphemized as nationalist organizations, the conference is stressing military organization and preparedness. I think, again, I think this uh, goes to the core of the fears of Putin and Russia and uh, the stated war aim of the denazification of Ukraine uh, is basically not only dealing with Ukraine, but other European, uh, Eastern European countries as well. Returning to the Covert Action magazine, article Andrei Bolevsky is, uh, again, one of the prominent uh, Ukrainian fascists and uh, head of the Social National Party of Ukraine. Speaker of the Rada, that's the Ukraine, RABA, the Ukrainian Parliament. In 2016, Andrei Bolevsky created the Intermarian Support Group, or ISG, introducing the concept to potential comrades in arms from the Baltic Black Sea region. The first day of the founding conference was reserved for lectures and discussions by senior representatives of various sympathetic organizations, the second day to the, quote, leaders of youth branches of political parties and national movements of the Baltic Black Sea area. It also included, quote, military attaches of diplomatic missions from the key countries in the region, Poland, Hungary, Romania, and Lithuania. And Azov's third ISG conference continued to advance the military networking characteristics of the earlier gatherings, and again, I think this is part of uh, Russia's fear, and uh, one of the things that lies behind the stated Russian war aim of the denazification of Ukraine. It's an absolutely valid phenomenon. Azov's third ISG conference continued to advance the military networking characteristics of the earlier gatherings, including the necessity of giving military training to what are euphemized as nationalist youth organizations. Note the continued manifestation of the new, unquote, Croatia of Ustashi political culture. Again, quoting from the uh, Covert Action Magazine article, on October 13th, 2018, the ISG organized its third Congress. Besides the Ukrainian hosts, a large share of the foreign speakers from Poland, Lithuania, and Croatia have a paramilitary background, among them advisors of the Polish Defense Minister Jerzy Targalski and retired Brigadier General of the Croatian Armed Forces Bruno Zorica, Z-O-R-I-C-A. Among the talking points of Polish military educator Damian Duda were, quote, methods of the preparation of a military reserve in youth organizations, unquote, and the, quote, importance 
of paramilitary structures within the framework of the defense complex of a modern state, unquote. And again, that is uh, a sort of thumbnail synoptic history of the evolution of the forces that are present in Ukraine in a very simple way, and they are fascist and Nazi. And the uh, it was not popular in this country to say so, but the Putin war aim is absolutely valid. I'm not at all sure it will be easy to uh, realize, certainly not quickly, I think that the uh, the possibility of a short-term occupation is negligible, and as Terrafractalus pointed out, it may very well elevate the popularity of the Nazi and fascist groups in Ukraine, and that may be part of their goal. Uh, the Nation magazine has been among the altogether shameful commentators on uh, the war to date. Uh, they, by the way, have received funding, as has Amy Goodman's Democracy Now!, from the aforementioned George Soros, although the right wing portrays him as you know, part of the international Jewish conspiracy financing the left. In fact, he appears to be a Borman Jew, got his start in business by Aryanizing property in uh, wartime Hungary from Jews who were liquidated in the Holocaust, something he has described as the happiest period in his life in his autobiography. Uh, again, it, it just dealing with somebody like Soros, portrayed by the right as a, a, a tendril of the international Zionist conspiracy. In fact, he is the opposite, but he has channeled money to the nation and the democracy now, and also by the way, an organization that has assumed prominence in you know, the, the hair raising hair tearing uh, coverage of uh, the war in Ukraine is the John Quincy Adams Institute, which also has received funding from George Soros and also from one of the Koch brothers, I believe it's Charles Koch, is the surviving Koch brother. So uh, keep an eye on that. That's another of the, quote, uh, progressive, unquote, organizations, and that is why I use this term so-called progressive, and they have been very prominent in the so-called progressive commentary on the war, but they don't talk about what we are talking about here from open sources. Although the intelligence connections uh, that we just uh, synopsized with long excerpts in the Covert Action article are not talked about here. Another article that, that does talk about some of what is going on in Ukraine, and uh, we've talked about this in, for the record, 1071 and 1072, is from the Nation magazine of February 22nd of 2019 by Lev Golinkin. It's called Neo-Nazis and the Far Right are on the March in Ukraine. It does not talk about any of the intelligence connections or uh, the Republican Party connections, but it does describe, and I'm just going to synopsize the key points of the article, the elevation of the Neo-Nazi Azov Battalion that was formerly incorporated into Ukraine's armed forces and it remains a Neo-Nazi battalion. The Azov is now engaged in policing with its national Brzezina Street patrol units that have engaged in anti-Roma pogroms. The Azov Battalion is part of the Ukrainian National Guard, but their national Vizina militia have police powers in 21 cities, as does the Combat 14 patrol, which we'll talk about in a minute. 
Azov's campaign is to turn Ukraine into an international hub of white supremacy. We touched on that at some of the uh, ISG Intermarium conferences. Andrei Parabui, uh, one of the Ukrainian fascists, his role in creating Ukraine's Nazi party, and if he continues to embrace that party, and he is uh, ignored, he has become the Speaker of the Ukrainian Parliament in the Rada, R-A-B-A, as of 2019 anyway. The Deputy Minister of the Interior, which controls the National Police, is a veteran of the Azov Battalion, Vadim Troyan. He was formerly National Police Chief. This anyway, as of 2019. Uh, and uh, Lev Lincoln also notes government, government sponsorship of historical revisionism and Holocaust denial to agencies like the Ukrainian Institute of National Memory, by the way, again, headed up by former Minister of Education, Volodymyr Vyotrovich, and it is now illegal to speak unfavorably of the OUNB and the UPA, both of which were Nazi collaborationist organizations with bloody, lethal histories. Torchlight parades are now normal in Ukraine. And as Galinsky, uh, Galinka rather noted, Look, uh, within several years, an entire generation will be indoctrinated to worship Holocaust perpetrators as national heroes. Books to criticize the now glorified World War II Nazi collaborators like Stefan Bandera are getting banned. Polish officials make threats against Ukraine's Jewish community, uh, public officials make threats against Ukraine's Jewish community with no repercussions. By the way, we'll talk about one of those guys, Vasily Volk. He is a Ukrainian intelligence officer. He was in charge of the, quote, investigation, unquote, into the shootdown of uh, MH Flight 17, which he blamed on Russia. Uh, the late Robert Perry of Consortium News did an excellent analysis of that, and it appears that actually the plane was shot down by Ukrainian military units. Continuing with uh, what Lev Lincoln talks about, the neo-Nazi C-14's street patrol gangs are both responsible for anti-Roma pogroms and also the recipient of government funds to run a children's educational group. Last October, Combat 14 leader Serhei Bondar was welcomed at America House Kiev a center run by the U.S. government. Combat 14, by the way, refers to the 14 words minted by Order member David Lane, a white supremacist, uh, I don't know, slogan of international renown. Against Combat 14, the militia, civilian militia of the As of the uh, Svoboda group, the Virginia militia uh, is the uh, militia of the Azov Battalion. Both have police powers in some 21 Ukrainian cities, including Kiev. Continuing, uh, what Lev Lincoln talks about, it's an open season on the LGBT community and far-right groups routinely elect, uh, beginning again, it's open season on the LGBT community in Ukraine, and far-right groups routinely attack LGBT gatherings. Ukraine is extremely dangerous for journalists, and the government has supported the doxing and intimidation of journalists by the far-right, by, by the far-right, such as the Miro Voretz group, or uh, also known as Prop or Not in English. Uh, anyway, affiliated with the Prop or Not group in, in uh, English. 
The government is trying to repeal laws, protecting the many minority languages used in Ukraine. One of the initial moves of the post-Maidan government was to ban the use of the Russian language in media and schools, and that led to the secession of the Lukansk and Donetsk regions and in Crimea. They tried to walk that back, but uh, basically if, uh, well, I'm not going to talk about a comparison, but uh, if uh, Mexico had been responsible for something in the U.S. along the lines of what Nazi Germany was in uh, the Soviet Union, and then if uh, a revisionist government that looked back to that uh, reoccupied Southern California, New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas, uh, and immediately banned the use of English, how do you think the people there would react? Well, <laughs> the way the people have reacted in Crimea and Lukansk. And uh, next, we're going to uh, probably conclude with this from the description for, for the record, 1014. There are links to the articles uh that uh, from which these excerpts are taken. Now, I've alluded to uh, President Erdogan of Turkey giving the salute, glory to Ukraine, glory to the heroes. That was the wartime salute of the OUNB and the UPA. It has been made, again, the salute not only of the, the Ukrainian military, but of the Ukrainian police as well. And from the description for 1014, Glory to Ukraine, glory to the heroes, is a slogan of the UPA, the Ukraine rebel army who fought on the side of the Nazis. The slogans, their origin, and history are well known in Ukraine. Present neo-Nazi Ukrainian military formations established by order of the Ukrainian authorities appropriated the slogan from the end of 2013 onward. Now, the Ukrainian Nazi collaborators' greeting will become the official salute in that country's army, and not just in the army. Continue again from the description for 1014. Also, the law on the national police was amended. According to it, when police officers are in line for the greeting of the leader or senior officer, when they hear the salute, glory to Ukraine, they reply, glory to heroes. The same actions take place during the parting. And again, we spoke about the fact that the uh, civilian militia of both Azov, Battalion, and Svoboda, the Vizina militia and Combat 14 respectively, have been given police duties in Kiev and 21 other cities. And again, Vadim Troyan, the former deputy commander of the Azov Battalion, became head of the Kiev police, acting head of the National Police, and then deputy interior minister to OUNB acolyte Arsen Avakov, a major patron of the Azov Battalion. Now, alluding to something that uh, Lev Galinkin spoke about in the uh, Nation article, uh, C-14's police cover has conducted another ethnic cleansing raid against Roma, gypsies, uh, that's, that's the slang term, but they, they're, the, uh, proper term is Roma, they're also Sinti, uh, quote, gypsies, unquote, as well. Again, co- uh, Combat 14's police cabre has conducted another ethnic cleansing raid against Roma while receiving favorable coverage from major Ukrainian media. Again, quoting from the article. Members of the neo-Nazi Combat 14 movement 
together with the Kiev Municipal Watch Civic Organization, which is led by C-14 activist Sergei Bondar, have carried out another raid, driving Roma citizens out of the area around the southern railway station in Kiev. The raid does not appear to have been accompanied by shocking images of violence like some five others this year, but that is the only positive difference. What is much more disturbing is that the action appears to have been with the cooperation of the police and was essentially given glowing coverage on a national television news broadcast. The presenter of the feature virtually parrots parts of the C-14 video with only two Roma people driven out shown in a negative light. There is one telling detail. Namely, that the television program is carefully not to ethnically label the people driven out with the feature entitled, quote, Police and civic activists tried to clean the capital's station of thieves, unquote. It does, however, show the activists wearing camouflage gear and chevrons clearly showing the C-14 symbol, and little effort will be required to find out how C-14 presents its vigilante activities and why this organization has gained notoriety over recent months. Again, these anti-Roma raids are more or less routine in Ukraine, getting no coverage in this country. And another article we talked about in 2014, again, to show how the Ukrainian or UPA army actually behave, and now it's illegal to talk about this in Ukraine because of the illustration laws, on the night of April 22nd to 23rd, Good Friday, 1943, the Ukrainians from the Ukrainian Insurgent Army, together with local peasants, attacked Janowa Dolina, J-A-N-O-W-A-D-O-L-I-N-A. That was in Poland and also Ukraine. It was one of those areas that was part of Poland and part of Ukraine. It was one of the focal points of the aforementioned Polish-Ukrainian War, a war within World War II. One more time. On the night of April 22nd and 23rd, Good Friday, 1943, the Ukrainians from the Ukrainian Insurgent Army, together with local peasants, attacked Yanoa Belina. Some 600 people, including children and the elderly, were brutally murdered. Most homes were burned to the ground and the settlement deserted. The perpetrators, commanded by Ivan Latvinchik, a.k.a. Duboi, that's his last name, L-Y-T-W-Y-N-C-H-U-K, I'm butchering the pronunciation, a.k.a. Duboi, exercised rare cruelty. Poles, unprepared and caught by surprise, were hacked to death with axes, burned alive, and impaled, including children. The murderers did not spare anyone regardless of age and sex. German garrison numbering a 100 soldiers did not act and remained in its barracks. After the first wave of murders, the Ukrainian nationalists started searching the hospital. They carried its Ukrainian patients away from the building while Polish patients were burned alive. Dr. Alexander Bakanowski, B-A-K-I-N-O-W-S-K-I, together with his assistant, Jan Borisovich, that's B-O-R-Y-S-O-W-I-C-Z, were hacked to death on the square in front of the hospital. In several cases, Ukrainians were murdered for trying to hide their Polish neighbors. Petro 
Mirchuk, M-I-R-C-H-U-K, Ukrainian historian, counted several hundred massacred Poles with only eight UPA members killed. That from a Wikipedia article about that massacre. And on the site of that massacre today, there is a plaque which uh, basically uh, has the glory for Ukraine, glory for the heroes, salute of the OUNB and the UPA, now the official salute of the Ukrainian army, and the official salute of the Ukrainian police. That is an example of the, quote, glory, unquote, that they exemplified. However, in Ukraine, you can't talk about that. What I just did would be a crime in Ukraine. Perhaps an even greater crime is what has happened in this country. You know, the Institute for National Memory, uh, by former Education Secretary or Minister Volodymyr Vyotrovich, is basically being implemented in this country as well. Uh, there's no discussion of what is going on in Ukraine, what has gone on. And I would note before we uh, wrap the broadcast up, we're going to talk about an article from Foreign Policy, a relatively mainstream publication. It's uh, published by the Washington Post. This is from Foreign Policy of May 2nd of 2016 by Josh Cohen himself, by the way, a former uh, employee of the U.S. Agency for International Development. It's called The Historian Whitewashing Ukraine's Past, and it's about Volodymyr Vyotrovich. During this period, according from the article, during this period, Vyotrovich spent time in North America on a series of lecture tours, as well as a short sojourn as a research fellow at the Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute, HURI. He also continued his academic activism, writing books and articles promoting the heroic narrative of the OUN-UPA. In 2013, he tried to craft and disrupt a workshop on Ukrainian and Russian nationalism taking place at the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. When the Maidan Revolution swept Yanukovych out of power in February of 2014, Vyotrovich returned to prominence in Ukraine. So he has American roots, and in a very real way, we'll continue with this article at at, uh, considerable length in our next program. That is what is happening in this country. It's the American Institute of National Memory, or as Saul noted, how many lies before you belong to the lie? Well, we do, and it's going to get worse. However, we are all out of time. This concludes for the record program number 1229. How many lies before you belong to the lie? This is being recorded on February 25th of the year 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.